Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. You are listening to 3CR's Spoken Word, and I am George O'Hara, and today we have Felix Nobus, live from the Night Heron, introduced by the convener of the Night Heron, Lauren Steinberg. So let's have a listen to Felix Nobis. Felix has done some amazing, amazing things. He did a play called Boy Out of Country that is entirely in verse, that if he ever does it again, you should, well, if he ever produces it again, he wrote it, uh, you should go see it because it's just really fucking awesome. Um, and he's translated Beowulf, and he's done a one-man show called Boy Out of Country. Not that was the play. One-man show was Once Upon a Barstool. I did read his bio a lot, but then I mashed it in my head at some point. But I'm very excited about Felix coming up now. He's really, really awesome, and if you need to know more about him, you should Google Felix Novus. His YouTube is great. Everything he does is exciting, and I'm going to go away so he can come up here and, and show you that. Thanks, Lauren. Well, the last ray of Thursday stretches like a tired boy and pierces purple skies and stabs its yellow fingertips into the squinted, wrinkled eyes of Mr. Descartes. Mr. Time on his hands, hands in his pockets, pockets are crammed with cigarette papers and a broken lighter with holes and a pencil. Five plastic dollars, a couple of cents, and the general requirements of another all-nighter. Another nowhere to go, go where you please, please don't rain. Captain Cook and Mr Descartes stand on St Kilda Esplanade as still as each other, and as cold as each other, and as sturdy and stained and old as each other, watch oil-black waves clap soft on silted sands or slap their salted hands on ancient woodrots and Kilda piers as the last of the ancients and Kilda deers scurry home, chattering in Russian, Russian home to beat the night. Mr. Descartes scratches black and white stubble and smiles at a loving couple of seagulls as they glide slowly out of sight. And under the sad, stoned eyes of Captain James, he turns to discover the night. And he sings to himself about 1,000 tears for my darling this morning and 1,000 tears today. She makes me smile as I remember her calling 1,000 miles away. And their drunken, derelict hours, hanging around the clock tower's four jaundiced faces. One's fast, one's slow, one's stopped at 11 o'clock. One's at 9.26, one's at 12.34. Below them all, Mr. Descartes roars out the dregs of his lost lullaby as he ponders a bottle of 3.95. Special. Nestled in his fingers, he turns it once, he turns it twice, he gently breaks its neck and then he lifts it to his lips and there's that trembling expectation then that stinging sweet surprise as it fills up to his eyes, as it overflows in icicles, stinging down his cheeks and as it burns his f***ing heart out and leaks into his lungs and tickles open pores and wakes up last night's ginger wine to come and play some more. And all his mother's love and all his father's Christian fears won't be enough to call him back tonight. Won't be enough to call him home. 
because home is where the heart is. And that's one place Mr. Descartes can't bear to be on his own tonight. He can't bear to be alone tonight with a, a phone that's forgotten how to ring and blinds that never open, where the only words ever spoken are in bad English, in bad dreams, and sometimes it seems even his memories are tired. And even if he knew what it would take to wake them, he's sure he wouldn't have what's required. What are they good for anyway? Memories. They just hang around the flat and gather dust and scare the cat and remind him of things. And so he walks alone and he sings about 1,000 tears for his darling this morning. 1,000 tears today. She makes me smile as I remember her calling. 1,000 miles away. 1,000 tears for my darling this morning. 1,000 tears today. She makes me smile as I remember her calling. 1,000 miles away. Thank you. Thanks very much. This is a poem for my mum. Linseed oil and laces, cricket stumps, he sees his face is reflected in the leather and the artificial leather of his best wet weather shoes, the ones he's not allowed to use for backstreet running races, hide and seek and chases as he crawls deeper into his favourite hiding place, he's careful not to make a sound. In between the sunshine and the shadow of the shutters, she is standing looking at him and he knows that he's been found. A look of simple, incomprehensible understanding in her eyes. She gives a little wave and then she turns around. I look out and see you. And you look in and see me. You say nothing though, you smile and turn away. You look in and see me, I look out and see you. You say nothing though, what is there to say? Backyard jacaranda, sandstone steps by the old veranda crouched over the natives with a great big sun hat and a tiny spade, all along the railings planting little Australians in the shade. And from the kitchen drinking lemonade, he's watching from the window and he sees her little seedlings in her hand, a perfect row. And when she looks up, she can see him too. He understands the man she's looking at is not the boy she used to know. And little seedlings grow. I look out and see you. You look in and see me. I say nothing though, I smile and turn away. You look in and see me, I look out and see you. I say nothing though, what is there to say? Ocean waves and crashes. It takes a breath and then gently smashes salt against the sandstone, water lashes, rock pools and foam rushes through the creases. Standing on the shore, he sees her there in her horizon. In the knowing depth and in the glowing surface rising toward heaven, shining back the sun. Out there where the ashes have become part of the ocean, the sky and horizon become one. And the ocean and ashes become one. And I look out and see you. And you look in and see me. I say nothing though, I smile and turn away. You look in and see me. I look out and see you. I say nothing though, what is there to say?
Thank you. Little Australian poem. There's a storm coming in from the south. There's steel in the air and my mouth tastes like metal and a chill wind tears up the street and then settles again and the whole fucking thing tastes like tin. And from the south there's a storm coming in. I sense a dark, uneasy emptiness across the football oval. And the lightning still strikes silent now, but you know it'll only be a matter of time before it shatters the clouds and explodes on the ground and it pounds on the corrugated roof like the sound of cricket stumps on a kettle drum. And from the south a storm's begun and it looks like it's heading this way. And an 18-wheeler barrels by and through the dust and darkness I can make out death and cattle. And diesel in the air and the smell of cigarette smoke and get stuck somewhere in the back of my throat and I spit on the ground and I walk up the road till my feet hurt. I stand there alone. And there's a storm out in the south that's trying to make its presence known and I can feel it almost groaning through my chest as it draws nearer and the white eyes of panic and the sick smell of fear are still stuck on my shirt. And there's an overwhelming thirst and a longing just to wash away the dust and the dirt and last night from the street and the sticky trail of blood from a fight or from a leaking bag of meat that's been carried across town. There's an overwhelming longing and a dryness in my mouth and the promise of a storm coming in from the south sometime soon. Sometime soon. Across the street and I feel the heat of the afternoon still baking down below. It's aching for the rain that was promised here long ago, quenching the downpipes and drenching the drains and the gutters. I look back again and I see the horizon has teased itself open and evening skies are a shifting pattern of purple and grey and a storm that appears to be drifting away in the south. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Lauren and I were talking about themes. We came up with this theme narrative. And it's like, we were both drunk. And, um, and there was no real clarity about what that's supposed to mean or kind of like, you know, what's that supposed to do? I do like narrative poetry. I like Australian narrative poetry very much. I like the Australian poets a lot. Adam Lindsay Gordon, narrative poetry. I love uh, Banjo Patterson. I love the fact that Man from Snowy River has so much narrative in it, they not only made a movie of it, but they made a sequel as well. <laughs> um, but the greatest narrative poem in my heart is an 8th century poem called Beowulf, which, um, which I discovered in my 20s and it sort of turned my life around. I spent a long time with the poem. I, I spent about three years translating it. And this little section is from when... The monster, Grendel, has been harassing the Giats for 12 years, turning up each night, ripping into the people until their mighty hall hairot was empty night after night. And then Beowulf, the warrior, hears about this and he sails the wild swan's way and he turns up and he says, uh, you know, I'll fight the monster. That night, he's asleep in the hall with his men. Beneath the mist of sloping cliffs and off the moors approaching, Grendel comes bearing the bitter wrath of God. His wicked mind weaving, intent on ensnaring one of man's kind inside that high, hated hall. Under cloud creeping he comes until gold house of mankind is clear to be seen, gleaming demoscene. 
Nor did that night mark the first that he had sought out Hrothgar's home, but never to encounter, not before or ever after, a man harder-hearted harboured within. And still he comes, the soldier of misfortune encroaching upon hall and the door burst open, though firmly bolted it sprang from his touch. Transported with anger, he tore in the mouth of the hall, contorted across the tiles of the floor, very gated he trod. The fiend, enraged in spirit, in eye there flashed a light most like a flame of ugly sin. Within the sleeping hall, he saw the troops of youth at rest together, sleeping clans of kinsmen, and his heart clapped with delight. For Savage, the invader, was savouring the notion of severing each life from every body afore daybreak, and there with expectation of a gorging banquet grew. Hiding from the shadows, the kinsman of Hugelik watched how with his swift attack the predator proceeds. Not that he was wasting time nor thoughts within his wicked mind, but reached out at the first encountered soldier who was sleeping with abandon, slit him open and was chewing ripe young muscles and was drinking veins of blood. And as soon as that sordid snack was swallowed and its very death devoured from its feet to its fingers, he groped on forth. And he grabbed it where the ardent-hearted leader lay, who lent his hand toward the beast, and fury bent, he caught him as he clambered on one arm. And that's when he discovered that director of destruction, that never in the rigid middle regions of the earth had he encountered any man of a hand grip harder. And his heart began to sicken, and his spirit could not scamper from that place soon enough. His mind did desert him and dove into darkness beneath the devil's blanket, and never in all of the days of his life had he met such a moment of horror. The one whose wickedness had wrought the heart of human suffering felt his very body husk begin to break away, held by hand by the kinsmen of Hugelik, shaking with hatred they shook until one of them let go his life. Laceration, that tormentor, shoulder-tearing sinew sprang apart in broken bone and bursted muscle. And so was Beowulf glory granted. And so was Grendel sick to death, sent to seek his house of sorrow, sloping fen and certain that his life had reached the last day of its run. And as a token... Beowulf hung, a hand, an arm, a bloody shoulder. There indeed was altogether Grendel's severed grasp suspended from the gaping hall. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to do one more narrative poem, and this is a poem that had to be kind of part of the, the set tonight because it's the most narrative poem that I do. I, I, I steered away from this poem for a few years because I thought it was sort of not reflecting well on kind of society and me and things. And then I returned to it um, the other day. It had got a bit sadder since last time I performed it. It's, it's a poem from another time, a time when, when heroism wasn't measured in how well you tore the arms off monsters, but how well you, you, um, you sort of drowned a slab of beer on a Saturday night. And that's when the... Uh, different kind of monster. <laughs> different kind of monster. 
And that's when the action of this poem takes place. It takes place on a Saturday evening, Saturday night. Saturday night, just about that time, as the last few layers of daylight are peeled away and they reveal beneath them a, uh, a gaping wound. Good night. <laughs> and the last few strains of a Led Zeppelin tune and a night as thirsty as a hungover dream and the trembling expectations of a 17-year-old. Yeah, I've been there. Bold as buggery, yeah, I'd done that. Blacktown 2nd Division 5-8, mate. <laughs> And he's scrubbed and he's shaved and he's sober and he's wearing his best no bastard trying to stop me frown. As his footsteps echo heartbeat, echoes pound for fucking pound down these one-way streets on the runway meets sky and the whole thing lifts off high on Saturday, high on Saturday. And the centre of earth and of heaven and hell tonight is a table at the Red Cow Hotel where the dangers of youth collide. Where they sit side by side by fucking side. You've got your Hendo and Murphy and Simo the Surfy and seven cold schooners and Winfield Reds and orange notes and acne cheeks and fucking mate, I haven't seen you for weeks. He goes, How's a Toyota? He goes, How's Charlene? And gee, Simo got suspended from the under 18s and these amber dreams waft in whirls of menage aftershave and make believe girls who gave good head and Winfield Reds blue smoke and a Bundy and Coke and a joke about a nun and a bicycle seat. I press the J, I look for the 11 Led Zeppelin arise with Stairway to Heaven. They go, that's my favourite fucking song. <laughs> they go, that's my favourite fucking song in a sweat-stained flannelette shirt sing-along or a, a trough-tiled headrest with your eyes closed and your spit sticks to your bottom lip and slips slowly down your chin toward the butt-clogged purple perfume pebbled water-falling tin. And they go down, down, down and just fucking get it in you. And I don't want to spin you out, but it's your fucking shout. You've got money in your pocket, buddy, fucking take it out. So five hours of his life are blown in a single shout. There's like five hours of selling hot dogs at the Penrith fucking races is blown on seven schooners with seven Savo chasers. But you're drinking with your mates. And here's fucking to you. I love you like a brother. And another bloody schooner. We're young Australian boys and we couldn't give a fuck. And if I could, I'd rip this fucking liver from my gut and I'd throw it on the smoke-stained, spit-rain floor and I'd piss on it and pick it up and put it in your hand. I'd fucking give it to you, man. Because that's how much I love you. <laughs> he goes, that's how much I hate my life. That's how fucking scared I get. Take a fucking knife and cut a fucking hole through the fucking smoke and fucking let me out. But it's your fucking shout. Got money in your pocket, buddy? Fucking take it out. Because man is not a camel and the Panthers want today. And Simo just got laid and Toby got his peas. And life's a fucking party, man. And seven schooners, please. Seven schooners, please. And there's a lady who knows all that glitters is gold. And she's buying the stairway to heaven. When she gets there, she knows it'll probably be closed because the fucking pub shuts at 11. <laughs> so it's off to the Leagues Club with a 3am licence and you stop on the way for a couple of pies. Sends you right off the deep end, does it on me every time. Simo still insisted on a flag and a wine, man. He's so profoundly pissed he can't even speak. He threw up on that same letterbox last week. <laughs> You better stop Hendo from hassling the bouncer about an ounce of hash that went missing from his pocket. Man, his wallet was stolen. Christ, his mother's got cancer. And the baby was dancing with drunk B-52s all night and then bolted before he even got a telephone number, let alone a pash or a grope or a hope in hell of a story to come back and tell the boys until the night creeps up behind him and it slaps him fucking sober. And it finds him kneeling on the floor behind a closed cubicle door with wet patched knees and 
with his mum's Saturday night casserole peas and the trembling DTs of a 17-year-old. Yeah, I, I threw up. I feel better now. <laughs> he goes, that babe was the best and crawls up against the breast of a lady who knows all that glitters is the cold and beer on the end of your arm and Simo's crashed out. <laughs> Makes for a cheap shout. <laughs> Toby's passed out. Makes for a cheap shout. Shit, no one can remember a word that's been spoken here in the last hour. Hendo's still hoping his breath don't smell sour like vomit as he tries to crack on at this bird who was on it. I was going, fuck, man, she was, she was definitely on it. She had, these, um, she had these casserole peas and these green ski pants. And Yeah, man, we're leaving. Just give us a chance and give us a hand here with Stephen. Man, I'm bleeding. When did that happen? Oh, there's a lady who knows these things. Hendo sings as he makes his way out the front door with a... Late. I know, mate, I've been here before. Nobody's really sure just how he got home that night. On his own that night. It's like an old f***ing boozer. It's like his old f***ing dad. It's like an old f***ing loser. Without nothing to show for nothing to show. But no. No. Because the piss that was sucked held its own bloody joys and he's broke and he's f***ed and he's one of the boys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Cheers. And that is all we have for this week. If you are interested in uh, hearing some poetry or going to read some poetry, I would uh, highly recommend that you check out www.melbournespokenword.com and they have a list on the events page of all the events that you can go to. There's slams, there's competitions, there's open mics, there's features that you can go and listen to. So I would highly suggest that you go and uh, have a look at www.melbournespokenword.com. So from me, George O'Hara, this is 3CR's Spoken Word.